Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's just bow our heads together. Let's approach this throne of grace one more time. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, Lord. And truly, that's just a sweet smell that's starting to break through in this day. Oh, it's the bridegroom starting to come more and more and more in plain view. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we could live in this day, Lord. Not to be looking to something ahead, Lord, but just looking up and saying, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Manifest your word in me, Lord. Make me more like thee, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't pass me, not, pass me by this morning, Lord, but you came by my way this morning, Lord. And, we're asking once more you come again tonight, Lord, and manifest yourself again in our presence. Father, we love you, and we just commit the service to you, and we ask that you just have the preeminence now. Thank you for the music, Lord, the singing. Lord, we're so blessed to be able to sing with an anointing of the Holy Spirit behind our voices, to have lives that come with it, Lord, and to know that what we sing about is true. It's a reality in our lives, Lord. You are not a God created by human hands, Lord. You are a God alone. And in your sovereignty, you called us. You chose us to be here, Lord. So, Father, we just want to ask that you'd come. Fill our cups, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Musicians, God bless you. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together and turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Amen. I'm always amazed at how God does things. I, Brother Ed, for you to stand up and say, I just think of a story. Sometimes we pass over the stories. Well, tonight, Lord willing, we just want to dramatize a little bit and maybe be a little bit more simple, but it's a Sunday night, and we'll just take it as the Lord leads and trust it to be a blessing to you. So I want to take for a title, No Thought of Your Own. No Thought of Your Own. 
And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31, and it says, Wherefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth what you have need of, that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the moral, for the moral shall take thought of the things for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Amen. Amen. May the Lord's blessing to the word. You may have your seats. I want to just take away this morning or this evening as we're speaking, and, and I believe I'm speaking to citizens of heaven, to ones that perhaps by your first birth were Gentiles, but you don't have that excuse anymore because God called you. God came by your way. The Jews rejected him. They rejected their Messiah so that we would have a chance, so that we could repent and we could come. We can't take that. Well, the Gentiles, they seek after these things. I'm just a Gentile, so that's, I guess that's my lot. No, you've, gotten call, you've been called to a higher calling. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things shall be added unto you. Know you not that your Father which is in heaven, he knows the things that you have need of. He knows what we have need of. He knows how much money we need. He knew how expensive our gas bill would be this month. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I don't worry, I'm not the only one. I think everyone that owns a house went, oh my goodness. It was cold. <laughs> but he knew. It caught all of us by surprise. But he knew what would happen. He knew what would happen. He made sure that somehow you're going, I don't know how I'm going to pay this, but it's there. Because you're putting your trust in him, not in yourself. But the, something's there because he knows what you have need of. He knew you'd need the heat in the cold days. He knows you need the clothes that you have on your back. He knows you need the food that you eat. And those of us, most of us, I would say almost all of us have a pantry full of it. Okay, maybe only I do. Wow, I'm the only one with a pantry full. Brothers, sisters, I will pray for you. God bless you. The Lord has blessed me mightily. I'm the only one with a pantry full of food. That's wonderful. I'm sure most of us have a pantry full of food that we look at and we say, well, I mean, it's, it's just food. And tomorrow, maybe it'll go bad because we're in a country where we reach the expiry date on things. I've been to countries where you go buy milk every day because you need it. You can only buy so much of it. You got to go and get it that day. And maybe I run out maybe a couple days in advance and that's about it. But in reality, we live in a country where we got a refrigerator. We got a house. We got stores that spawn stores upon stores. God's taking care of us. We can't look at it and say, well, you know, I, I, I don't know where I'm going to get my next meal. There's those that are, we were out yesterday witnessing, had a chance to be there with them. There were some that were homeless and different ones that came by. Maybe we didn't know where their next meal was coming from, but God knew that he'd set up a chili stand for someone that needed something. He would set up something to take care of them, and there would be a, somebody else, maybe completely natural and carnal, that would have a burden on their heart. They wouldn't know where it comes from, but they say, well, we need to set up a shelter for these people. Why? Because it's just something in them that's moving them, because our Heavenly Father, he takes care of the birds. He takes care of the foxes. They've got dens. He takes care of these different ones. They've all got somewhere to go, so he says, take no thought. 
Don't be consuming yourselves with these things. Because in our day, we, especially in the country we live in, as I've gone there already, but we have where we consume ourselves now with getting ahead. Because we have so much already, because we have all of our needs really met, that we consume ourselves with getting ahead. I was so, I'll say grieved, and I'll just throw this in here. I didn't put it in my notes because I didn't know if I'd want to say it or not, but I was grieved by it because I used to listen to a, a popular radio show by a man who many would know. He's, he's, he's known to be a financial advisor, and I won't say his name, but he claims to be on biblical principles. And he would have different people call in, and he would give them advice. And at first, I kind of found it entertaining because people would call in saying, I don't know what to do. And he'd say, well, what do you mean? he said, well, I only make $400,000 a year between my wife and I, and we can't pay off our house for three to four years, and I don't know how. And I'm going, why are you calling for advice? <laughs> but, you know, there was, it came down to this one man called in. I think he was a firefighter, if I'm not mistaken. He was very, very poor, became disabled. He was living on disability checks. He said, I can barely make ends meet. I'm a Christian. He says, I pay my tithes, and then I've just got enough for the bills, and that's all I've got. And he says, but I, I just wonder if there's something I could do to maybe get a little ahead in life. And this man who claimed to be founded on biblical principles comes out and says, well, what you need to do is stop paying your tithes until you get ahead. I was like, wow. I only listened to the rest of that story for one reason. I wanted to hear the man's response, and I was very impressed with the man who called in because then he, he went away sad. Like I said, you'd tell by the way he sounded where he said, I can't do that. I can't give that up. I, I got to put God first. I thought, well, God bless that man for doing that. But I couldn't listen to the show any longer because I thought, well, if that's what it's coming from, be careful what you feed on. Really with spirits that are behind it because it's not the first time the Bible's been used for someone's personal gain. One of those men we'd like to talk about tonight. But, uh, but if I want to take a step further, let's turn together to Matthew chapter 10 if you still got your Bibles open with you, and because we, we, we become so consumed with that today, is, is just getting ahead in life. I need to get ahead. I need to get a nest egg. I need my piece of the pie. I need my little goose egg. I need this. I need that. And you know, there's nothing really wrong with that, because you need to be ready for a rainy day, as they'd say. Be ready for anything that would happen. If, if anyone ever in the past has wanted me to preach on finances, this is likely as close as I'll ever get to it, so pay attention. But this is we need to prepare for those things because we don't know what lies ahead, but let's not consume ourselves with those things and become so wrapped up in them till we miss what's really important. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, this is a little bit different context, but Jesus would write in here, would say in here, and he would say it this way. If I can find the right verse, there it is. But when, when they deliver you up, and if you'd read it in Luke, Luke would write before magistrates or powers or different ones. But Matthew would just record it this way. When they deliver you up, or if you drag up a verse, it says, And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake and for the testimony against them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak. For it shall be given you in the same hour what you shall speak. For it is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father that speaketh in you. I want you just to back up a verse there for a moment and notice something in particular. It says, take no thought how or what. So it's not just coming out and saying, take no thought what you should speak, but don't be premeditated and how you're going to say it. 
And there's certain ways in the, in the things that you could say it. If I, if I was to come down here, see, I've got my son sits in the front row now, so I can do this. Could I please have your pencil? Say, no problem. Thank you. You can have it back now. Give me your pencil. See, now he's kind of, what did I do? I said the same thing, essentially. But it was how I said it. Just take no thought how you should say it or what you should say. Because sometimes you say, well, I know I said the right thing, but it came across completely wrong. We, we came across such a way we're so agitated because we're premeditated in the way we do so. Is to take no thought how you should say it or what you should say. No, 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 come before them and say, well, I'm going to have, oh, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, so let's, uh, I want to just take it and look at it and a couple examples, and one of them would be the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba in the Bible, she would come to Solomon. And Brother Branham would preach the message often, a greater than Solomon is here. And in this message he would say, and she took no thought or fear of fear or anything that was to bother her. She wasn't thinking about that. The idea was, or her thought was, she wanted to find out if it was real or not. So across the desert she went. It really came down, if you boiled all of the questions, all of the things that the Queen of Sheba wanted to know, it was she wanted to know whether it was real or not, and that was enough to pull her in all of her splendor and all of her camel train and all of her servants across the desert through perilous times, through perilous uh, territory to get to Solomon, to find out the rumors I'm hearing, is it really real? Is it really worth my time thinking? Is it really worth my time knowing about these things? I've got to know if it's real. And she came meditating on that one thing. Is it real or is it not? She didn't come with a bunch of premeditated, I'm going to try and trip him up. No, I'm just going to come with some real simple questions. Is it real? Is it not? Is it real? Is it not? And she would come in this way, and, and, and her words to Solomon were, were reflected by her meditation. But I want to take, and I heard a statement recently, I read it in a book actually, and it was, it's a statement, it's called a cocked tongue. What it is to have a cocked tongue. And I want to look for a moment at your tongue, because the words that you speak, they come from your thoughts. You think it first, sometimes you think it and you stop, and sometimes you think it and say it so fast you wish you would have thought longer. But, but to have a cocked tongue is like having a gun and always having a bullet in the chamber ready to go and the hammer pull back and your finger on the trigger. Now I'll say this, an unloaded gun is useless. An unloaded gun doesn't do very much. You might scare somebody. That's all the devil's got too. He might have a lot of nice looking guns, but he's like a roaring lion. He's got no teeth. Because, but an unloaded gun, but the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, because to have an unloaded gun is like having nothing to say. The Bible says to study to show yourself approved. A workman needeth not be ashamed, readily, rightly dividing the word of truth. And in 1 Peter chapter 3 it would say, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So saying, don't, don't just take all the bullets out and say, well, just whatever it is, it is. If somebody asks me, what's this message? You believe, I don't know, ask my pastor. No, you got no bullets. It's just useless. 
It's not a life. It's not a real to you. It's not something that you can look at. You're meditating on day and night. You're meditating on it. It's something that's in you. That, 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 that The message ought to be something that you're meditating on, that you're thinking on. That's not just, well, it's in my heart. and It is down there somewhere. And brother says, it's got to be in my heart. So it's, it's there somewhere. I'm sure it is. But no, it's got to be something that I'm meditating on day and night. It begins to invade my thoughts. It begins to invade even my prayer life where I begin to pray about these things. I begin to look upon these things. Oh, my and, and, and but, but so often, I believe we've, we've gone the extra step too many times where instead of just having bullets in the gun, we've always, we, we get so easily wound up in our thinking till we are ready to go off at a moment's notice. Snapping at situations that are beyond our control or defensive over everything we do. Ready to justify our own deeds and words rather than give an answer for the hope of Christ that lieth within us. Because often we want to stop at that part of the scripture where it says that, but sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man. Amen. Just be right there. Stop it right there. Whatever they ask me, I'm ready to give an answer. But it goes on a little bit further. What should you be ready to give an answer for? When they ask you a reason... Of the hope that is in you, and how should you say it? With meekness and fear. So when they come and they begin to ask you, why do you believe what you believe? Don't you know God sent a prophet? Repent! Oh, it's how you say it. I know Brother Ed said he's done it before, and I've done it myself, where I had a man who's a Catholic man, and his parents were Catholic, and he wanted to start asking questions, and I just took revelations. And I just started going through and explaining to him what the Catholic Church was, explaining to him the great horse. And I realized at the end of it, if he ain't condemned, I mean, that's probably all I've done. It was no use. It was just boom, 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 and ready to go, ready to go. But it was how I said it. It wasn't said right. It could have come across so much nicer. It could have come across such a way that could have actually been received. Take no thought how or what you should speak. I'll go back to the gun for a moment. If you have a gun and you're out hunting with it, you don't walk around with it with a hammer pulled back and your finger on the trigger and the safety off, trudging through the bush. You're asking for an accident. You're asking for something to go off. Maybe you want, you want to, I don't know, your toes, you don't like them, I don't know. But you're asking for that. But you make sure when you're walking through the woods, if you're a huntsman, if, you're, if you just enjoy guns, if you just put it down and you like to go out and shoot, you don't just put it down with the hammer pulled back and you don't just have all your, everything in the chamber and ready to go and you just put it down and say, okay, you, sir, pick it up. No, you make sure it's safe and you make sure it's okay and it's not going to go off as soon as somebody touches it and everyone's going to be scared, someone's going to get hurt. No, you make sure safety's involved in it. You have a safety on it for a reason. Our mouths ought to be the same way. The Bible says in James chapter 3 and verse 5, if you put that up there, sister, it says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. I'm sure nobody's ever heard of that before. <laughs> Something that's so small, but we use this little member in here. 
make a mountain out of a molehill. We search and we research and we got to know and we got to find out until we've said everything, we've said all our peace. In the end, it still amounts to nothing because it's little wood. But it's got a lot of fire. It says, and the tongue is a fire and the world, a world of iniquity. What's iniquity? Something you know you shouldn't do, but you do it anyways. Something you know you shouldn't say. Oh my, Brother Ed, I, I didn't know what you were preaching this morning, but it was good, really good. But we get that way, gossip, where we just, I, I really shouldn't say this, Brother Max, I shouldn't tell you, but a world of iniquity, I, re- I really shouldn't, but you know, well, I heard, they wouldn't want me to say it, but just between you and me. I'm preaching to myself here too, all right? I'm not trying to look down on anybody and say, I'm holier than thou. No, I, I could turn around and just preach it right at myself and say, because we get this way sometimes. Like, well, you know, this brother, this sister, they never, wow. I, you know, it, it's okay. It's a world of iniquity. This little member. Right. Brother Ram says, you don't got to go out and shoot somebody to kill them. You just take their reputation away. Right. You just say a little something behind their back to pretty soon that, they ain't got no, brother gets up here and preaches and you, all you can think about is so-and-so said. And it robs what you, somebody else. Because your thoughts, an angel of God told the prophet. Your thoughts speak louder in heaven than your words. You say, well, I, but I, I never repeated it, but you thought on it and you thought on it and you thought on it. And it says, and, and he goes on to say, so is the tongue among your members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. <laughs> For every kind of beast and of birds and serpents and the things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed by mankind. And we think it a great thing. But the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly, evil, and full of deadly poison. Oh my. If you back up to James chapter 1, verse 25. As I said before, I started reading these scriptures, and we're going to come back to it, because what you say, what controls your tongue, it's your thoughts. The things that you're thinking on, the things that you're meditating on, the things that you're thinking, you have to think it first before you speak it. It doesn't just come out. There's something that happens as a thought, and then it begins to manifest into a a word, and you begin to speak it that way. And So when I'm dealing with these things, and when I'm saying this, as I said, I want to take it as a drama, and we're getting to that real quickly, so just bear with me, but... We say we, we want to control the, we want to bridle the tongue. We want to make sure a man that can bridle the tongue, he's perfect in all of his ways. And he's really, that, that's, that's what we're looking to do. We want to be able that we're not just spouting off. But where does it start? It starts in the mind. It starts with the thoughts. It starts with what are you thinking about? Verse 25 of chapter 1 says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. 
And if any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Oh my. So here's someone, he's saying, there's someone that could be just as religious as could be, could look the part, act the part, but if he can't stop his own tongue, his religion's in vain, he's deceiving his own heart, because the reason his tongue is talking like this, because his thoughts aren't pleasing to God. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, I I was pondering on this statement. To keep himself unspotted from the world. Any man, if we go back into the, the type of sin in the Old Testament, it would be leprosy. Something that would come out in spots. Something that would come out in, in, in a physical, it would begin to def- affect the skins and it would begin to be spotty and then things would begin to deteriorate and it was a physical disease that you knew that they were infected. But today, what's he talking about? To keep themselves unspotted from the world. It's not a physical leprosy, but it's something, it's a sin. It's an unbelief that begins to creep in, that it begins to spot just little things here and there. I don't really think that's all that. I don't really believe the word that much. That, that just can't quite mean that for me. God doesn't really go that far. The days of miracles ended with Brother Branham. Or not in this church. Are you with me? Just little spots here. Little spots there till finally it becomes so decayed till you, you just can't believe anything anymore. Because our words, they begin with our thoughts. And we think what we think and meditate upon, and our actions even come from the secrecy of our thoughts. And in our thoughts, they're, 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 they're secret to everyone else except God. He sees them. Brother Ed said this morning, how many of you would like to have your thoughts put up on the screen? I'm going to tell on myself for a second here and say, I said no. I had the devil throw a couple thoughts at me this morning, and I had to say, no, thank you. I'm sure all of us were in sat in that seat. The devil being to throw things at you, you say, no, I'm trying to focus. I want, I want what God has for me. I want to press through into this, and he keeps throwing. But the devil can't see your thoughts. The Bible says the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It does not say that the accuser is a, is a discerner. It says the word of God is. He discerns. He knows the thoughts. He knows the intents of the heart. He knows what we're going through. What we're thinking. Satan doesn't know. His tactic is to just throw enough mud at the wall hoping something sticks. And it's us that's got to make it stick. That's got to pull it in and say, yeah, okay, I accept that thought. But, but that's, that's the only tactic he has. He doesn't know you've accepted it until it begins to manifest itself. Because he can't see what you're thinking. That ought to make us rejoice. Because he doesn't know what I'm thinking about. Because I thank God he doesn't. Because then he knows when he puts a thought in there and something goes a little bit too far, I'm happy he doesn't have that to accuse me on. But the blood of Jesus wipes it away and it's no more. I want to take, if you would, a couple of men in the Bible. One of them was a secret sinner. 
And one of them was a secret believer. At first, I'd like to take the secret sinner. He's a man that at first was a secret, but he came to manifest who he was. This sin will always find you out. But this man was Judas Iscariot. The Bible doesn't really talk a lot about how he was called of Jesus or how he came to follow Jesus and how he came to be part of the 12. But he was considered as part of the 12. He was a man that went out and he went out with them two by two and he, he was there. He prayed and demons were cast out and he, there was many manifestations through his own ministry. But yet he was a secret sinner. But something struck him in his little Jewish heart that, he, that this must be true when he first heard of Jesus because there was something about him because every Jewish boy had to go through a certain amount of schooling in the scriptures and they would go through at a certain age and they would begin to learn them and then he would begin to see the scripture and I'm sure he'd be able to see it in Jesus and see, oh, there's something to this. I said, I'm dramatizing it, so don't, don't get all scribbled up in your thoughts and think, well, I don't, that's not how I see it. Well, we'll come around to the end to the point where we all agree, Okay. Amen. It's a drama. But now Judas, he he would see it that way because there had to be something in him to cause him to follow. It wasn't just immediately like, I'm going to bring this guy down. No, there had to be something in him that he knew, hey, there's something real here. I got to follow this Jesus of what's going on. But he had his own thoughts on on on, on the matter and how things ought to be run. He had his own ideas of, of what Jesus was doing. He had his own preconceived ideas of what was going on. And then Brother Brandon, we know, to get to the end of the story, would talk about and say, God raised up a Pharaoh and hardened his heart for that purpose. And God raised up a Judas Iscariot. Right. Now, hold on a second. Who raised him up? God raised him up. And he was born here, the son of per- perdition. God told Esau and Jacob before they was ever born, told his mother all about what was taking place, one he hated, one he loved. God, by predestination, some of us, he predestinated, praise the Lord, to eternal life. And there are those he predestinated to eternal damnation. He knew he needed the son of perdition there, so he made sure there was a Judas Iscariot. And he put a little something in him that he would recognize him and want to follow after it because the Antichrist and Christ, the two spirits, are so close. As we heard this morning, when Christ is moving, you can be sure Satan is right there trying to get in on it. Just like he was trying to anoint Judas because he wanted to get in on what God was doing. See, God always knew who he was, but he had his own ideas, his own thoughts of what he could get out of it. Now we know, and I'm calling them his own thoughts, and forgive me for that because we know we don't have our own thoughts. Your thoughts come from somewhere. You're not a thought generator, you're a thought processor. We process thoughts that either come from the devil or they come from God. But now we're taking this, and I want to just take it in a way as put all these thoughts together for a moment. I'm going to call them his thoughts. Where Judas has all of these things that are coming into his mind, and he begins to accept them and make them his own. Because that's what happens. Because when you process a thought that comes from the devil and you say, I accept that, you've made it yours now. You've put your name on it. When you accept a thought that comes from God and you say, I accept that thought, now you've put that and put your name on it and said, that's mine. I accept to think that. I, 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 I lay claim on that. But now Judas, he began to think these thoughts and he perhaps, he perhaps had heard of the water turning to wine. I don't think he was a disciple at that time from what I can see, but he was then, he was perhaps there though when the 5,000 plus women and children were fed. 
He'd heard of the boat full of fishes. When Peter was out there and Peter was called, he said, cast your net on the right side. And he'd heard about that. He thought, man, that's amazing. I could have a pantry full of food. And he was, on, he was there on the sea that day when Jesus slept in the back of the boat. And they were having a testimony service and Judas was right there in the middle of them all rowing away. Maybe he was the quietest. Maybe he had the most testimonies. Maybe he had something he had to say because often that's how people like that are. Sorry. Didn't mean to get under your skin there. But that's the way they often are when someone says, well, I just remember God and he's giving glory. Well, I remember God in my... He used me. <laughs> I got a testimony too. Okay, that's good. Praise the Lord. We'll rejoice with you. But then I got across there and then the winds came up and he was right there with the bucket bailing. He was perhaps right there. Maybe he was right there with Peter saying, don't you care that we drown? How can you sleep through all these things? And he was there when he seen Jesus control the weather. Forgive me for this, but maybe his thoughts were ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Imagine the money we can make on this. We could control the weather. <laughs> he had carnal thinking. It's okay to laugh a little bit in church. It's all right. I'm not walking you out on a limb and cutting you off tonight. Don't worry, okay? It's all right. He was there. He saw the maniac of Gadaria delivered. He was present when the widow of Nain's son was raised from the dead. He watched as the man was lowered through the roof and Jesus forgave his sins. He still sat there as he began to turn to the Pharisees and perceive their thoughts and knew they weren't saying anything. It was their thoughts. He was there when Jesus walked through a crowd of people that wanted to throw him off a cliff. And no one laid a hand on him. And all of these things that he began to watch God begin to manifest himself in his almighty presence, he began to notice it. And because he was a son of perdition, thoughts began to nest in his mind. That he began to think of how we could, we could really use this to our advantage. I think we could really set him up as king. It's the same devil that came to Jesus after 40 days. He said, if thou be the son of God. When Jesus wouldn't accept it straight up from Lucifer, then finally he got down into Judas, and he began to feed Judas a bunch of thoughts. Said, if this really is the son of God. I mean, you just seen him do all that. He can do anything. He witnessed so many great and mighty miracles. He'd heard the word preached straight from the mouth of Almighty God. Oh my. It wasn't through even the vessel of a man. It was through the vessel of Jesus Christ. God in flesh. Preaching. And he sat in those services. And perhaps we could say when he was first called, Jesus was looking for a treasurer. And maybe Jesus, perhaps I'll just go on a limb here myself and say, Jesus perhaps turned to Matthew and said, you know, you were a tax collector. I think maybe you make a good 
treasurer, and maybe Matthew in his humility thought, you know, I, I couldn't do that, Lord. Somebody might think I'm trying to, you know, just follow the money. I, I don't want to do those things. So. But Judas was right there to say, I'm qualified. I'm the most educated out of all these men. Matter of fact, I, I was in business. I know how to take your $2, and I'll make a penny on your $2. Give me five, I'll make three pennies. We're going to invest this, Lord. We're going to make some money. You with me? I'm beginning to paint to you a picture of a man that a lot of people like. Good with money. He's got good ideas. He sees things very naturally, easy to relate to but very carnally minded. Seeking the things that are of this earth, not the kingdom of heaven. And as as Judas would perhaps desire to be the treasurer, and about the time the, 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 the tribute to the temple was needed to be paid, they came by the way, they came to the house where Jesus was staying at, and they were outside. I think it's found in Matthew chapter 17, where they, when they were at Capernaum, the Bible would say in verse 24, and they received tribute. They that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? And Peter saith, Yes. I could imagine Judas in this moment going, Oh, I wish you would have talked to me first. I'm the treasurer. I only got enough money to pay tribute for 11 of us, and there's 13 of us. I look like such a fool. Embarrassed. Peter speaking out of his turn. But that's the carnal. Because then it would go on and say, Then he come into the house of Jesus, prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do kings of the earth take Custom or tribute of their own children or of strangers. And Peter said unto him, of strangers. Jesus said to him, then are the children free, notwithstanding, lest we should offend at them. Go into the sea, cast the hook, take up the fish and the first that cometh up. And when thou openest his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Take it and give it to them for me and thee. And Judas is going, I... okay. We're good now. We paid the tribute. He ought to have been rejoicing. Hey, hold on a second. I got the easiest job ever. I'm the treasurer in Jesus' church. Where if there ain't enough money, he'll just make it. Praise be to God. I don't got to sit down and worry about credits and debits, but he was a numbers man. It was all about the credits and debits and the green and the red and the, oh, it's got to come down. It's gotta, we're all messed up. We don't got enough, and now Peter's made this promise. We've got to pay money. And here Jesus says, don't worry about it. Just go catch a fish. Amen. Judas is going, well, catch a fish. Okay, that's, that's enough for you guys. But why don't you just fill the boat back up with fish again, and we'll go sell at the market. Then we'll be good. So imagine, why are you going down this road? Because sometimes we think these thoughts. We get these thoughts going on in our mind where we think, well, I could think of it better ways. But God... In a thousand ways, his mysteries to perform. He, he's always worked in mysterious ways that a man looks at and goes, I don't get it.
But Judas, by his own reasoning, kept missing what God was doing all along. He kept getting caught up in the money. Kept getting caught up in his own ideas of, of what exactly was going on and how he could make, he could push this program forward. How he could make this greater, how he could make this better because this church is just not doing what it should be doing. Oh my. Now, it's, it's never been God's program to be concerned with tomorrow. We read the scripture already. No, I understand to be a good steward of what you have. But don't worry. Just stay faithful. God will provide all your needs. Judas had become so wrapped up in his carnality of his thinking till he, he was willing to sell the life of Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Because he had so convinced himself it's going to be all right. Hey, listen, I just seen him walk through a whole crowd of people. And then I, I thought, man, he, he's amazing. He can walk through people. They want to kill him, and no one's laying a hand on him. It's like angels are just parting the way for him. It's just amazing. And then I, with the triumphal entry, and he comes down, and the people are worshiping, and he just turns around and walks back. He doesn't accept to be king at all, and I got to do something. Remember the service where the Brandon preached, trying to do God a service without it being his will? He talks about David. David had a good desire. I, I want to see the ark of the Lord restored. I want to see it brought back to Jerusalem. I want to see it in his rightful place. I want to build God a house, a temple. I want it in the tabernacle. I want these things to happen. So he went about it. What was the last way it was carried out? This is the last way it was done, but that was done by the Philistines. It was the Philistines that put it on a new cart. It was the Philistines that put it with new oxen that had never known. They weren't God's people anyways. That was the best of their ability. But God had already told them, you got the word. You can't go back to that revelation. I've given you this revelation. You can't go back to some previous day and say, well, that's good enough. I've given you what you need for today. You can't walk in that way anymore. The same thing with Judas. Judas was still trying to walk under his teaching as a, as a school child and under the Pharisees and under the Sadducees saying, the, 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 the Messiah is going to be, he's going to come with a great rod, he's going to, the chaff, and he's going to burn, and he's going to do this, and he's going to do that, and the, oh, he's going to rule and reign, it's going to be wonderful. But he missed sitting under the very ministry of God himself, and he missed what he was preaching. Amen. As Jesus had said words like, Tear this down. Tear this temple down. In three days, I'll raise it up again. If you're going to say things like that, and Judas just goes, I don't, I don't get it. Because he'd accepted something else because he was born for this purpose. Satan had begun somewhere to work on him, to twist his conception of the mighty hand of Jehovah into something for his own self-profit. But in the last moments of his entire way, of his entire life, his entire way of thinking failed him. I want you to notice Judas would have always had an answer to the question. Every time someone would have come to him, he was the type of man, he would have had an answer. Where were you, Judas? Oh, I was just right over here. I was just about the father's business. I was just about, you know, making this happen. I was just about making that happen. Where were you? always had an answer. 
But when it finally came down and he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and then he's seen how it didn't play out the way he thought it was going to play out. The way he imagined in his mind to finally come back and he's all distraught and he throws the silver back at the priest and he says, I, I, I've sold innocent blood. I, I can't do this. And he took a rope and he went and he hanged himself. Why? Because his whole way of thinking, everything he had built up in himself, in the secrecy, it was all come from somewhere. That's from one end of the spectrum. I want to talk a little bit now about a secret believer. If you go with me to Luke chapter 8. how it is for each and every one of us we must be careful what our lives are built that our lives are built on revelation not knowledge because in the time of crisis you can't be what you what you're not you got all built up in your mind all the knowledge but when the the time of desperation sets in when the time of crisis comes in the real you will come out you'll say things you thought where'd that come from why you've been meditating on feeding on, dwelling upon something that wasn't right. But if you're feeding on, dwelling on the word of God, the message of the hour, Satan can throw every crisis at you just like Job. And he could just hit Job right down till he had nothing left. And Job could just finally look up and say, I know my redeemer lives. And though these skid words destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. I don't understand how it's going to be, but I believe it. Job wasn't a man that had built himself up by knowledge. He built himself up under God by revelation. God built him up. I'll say it this way and not to bring about fear, but I want you to think about it honestly. When the final trump sounds, I'll say, and the catching away is taking place, in that moment, there won't be any last minute repenting. When God pulls that scarlet thread, it won't be, hold that away from me. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 41 says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus. And he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he should come into his house. For he had only one, one only daughter, about 12 years old, and she lay dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. This is just a completely different scenario than that of Judas. This man who because of previously held position and for fear of losing it didn't want to openly proclaim that he believed in Jesus. He preferred to hide it because he was a ruler of the synagogue. He had position. He had wealth. He had something going for him. But in a moment of crisis, his entire thinking had to change. Perhaps he too had witnessed miracles of Jesus. Perhaps he'd heard of different things happening. Perhaps he was there on the mountain when Jesus fed 5,000 plus women and children. Perhaps he was one of the men that was counted in that number to sit there and receive. He 
He was well studied in the scriptures and regardless of what the council said and the great man of that day would have said, he knew that this was the truth. He knew that what Jesus was preaching, this was the Son of God. He knew that this was more than just a prophet. He knew this was more than just whatever the Pharisees were calling it. That this was a reality. But in his heart, that was real. But he just couldn't bring himself. But one day, a crisis had exhausted every measure to help his little girl. And every doctor had failed. Every priest and sacrifice had failed. He's a ruler of the synagogue. I'm sure he brought sacrifices to the temple for the sake of his daughter. I'm sure he'd been very sincere in his prayers. I'm sure he'd done everything just as fundamental as he possibly could to be exactly right on the word. He said, okay, it requires this, it requires this, it requires I need to do it just right. And he did it just to the best of his ability. But God wasn't looking to meet him in that way. He says, I'm looking on your heart. And every doctor had failed. They couldn't do anything for him. Even the priest, the sacrifice had failed. His entire thought process had been rearranged to believe what he knew in his heart was right. Previously, perhaps he had an answer for everything. He knew exactly what to say. Jairus could justify his actions based on Scripture. And he could. As a ruler of the synagogue, he could justify why he did what he did. Why he walked the way he walked. Why he was giving sacrifices for the healing of his daughter. Why he was doing this. Why he was living a certain way. He could talk to his wife and perhaps he could fight a little bit in her about how he felt about Jesus. But he could justify to her and say, but this is why I'm not following it. Because it was all in the reasonings of his mind. But in the moment of desperation, all his reasoning didn't matter anymore. The only thing that mattered then was I must get to Jesus. And as we begin to carry on the story, as he would come and, 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 and he had an only daughter, and, but, they were, but as he went, the people began to throng Jesus. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all of her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. Very much the same situation Jairus was in. He'd exhausted everything. Now God wants to just give him a little extra boost of faith. So here's this, this girl, this, this, this woman here, that she's exhausted everything, trying to help her own cause. But finally she comes and it came up behind him and touched the board of his garment and immediately the issue of blood stunched. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied, Peter said unto him that were with him, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee and sayest thou, why sayest thou, who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she, was, that she could not be hid, she came trembling and fell down before him. And she declared unto him, all the, unto him before all the people what was the cause of her touching him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, daughter, be of a good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Now I can imagine the jubilant thoughts of Jairus at this moment. Saying, this woman's done just exactly what I've done. But now we've come to a place. She's healed. Oh, glory be to God. I've come on the same grounds. Amen. I've come on the same grounds. I've exhausted everything. And now I'm coming to Jesus. If I could just get to Jesus, my daughter will be made whole. And he's got this joyous revelation. It's going to happen. But then the next verse happens. It says... And while he yet spake, 
There came one from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying unto him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. Oh, now this is different. You see the devil trying to throw mud at the wall here. Trying to make something stick. So now she's dead. This is different now. He can't do this one now. The next verse says, when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, fear not. Believe only. And she shall be made whole. Oh, hallelujah. He was right there in his moment of desperation. He said, don't worry about it. Don't look at the circumstance. Don't look at the situation. Don't look at the symptoms. Relax. It's going to be okay. You got to me. You got to me. That was all you needed to do. And when he came into the house, he suffered that no man go in, save Peter and James and John and the father and mother of the maiden. In verse 52, he says, And all wept and bewailed her. And he said, Weep not. She is not dead, but sleepeth. Oh, my Thank God Jairus was not Judas. He didn't have a carnal thought, a carnal idea of it. What's he talking about? They said he's dead. Now he's, he's really gone. No, he just said, oh, yes, Lord. I don't get it, but I believe it. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. You know, if you're a secret believer, and you're going to hold on to it for this long, it's going to come out in a way you least expect it. It's going to come out in a way when you're holding back and you're sitting there saying, well, I got lots of time. I don't need to surrender yet. I, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. It's going to come out in a way that you just can't help it. And he pulled them all out. He put them all out, sorry, and took her by the hand and called saying, Maid, arise. Hallelujah. The next verse. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. You give me a few more minutes. Amen. There you see the two totally different spectrums. One was just continually accepting the thoughts of the devil. The other one who was trying so hard to suppress the thoughts of God. Okay, I just don't want to follow it. But eventually he just had to. God brought him to that place where he had to confess. Lord, I believe. All that matters is I got to get to Jesus. All that matters is I need to touch him. All that matters is if he could come. If he could pray for my daughter. All would be well. Makes me think of the story of Florence Nightingale. She flew all the way from South Africa up there. And, and Brother Bram thought, how? How was she still alive? When he felt her hand, it was just skin and bones. And we say skin and bones, but it literally was just skin and bones. He didn't understand. She couldn't even speak loud enough for him to hear. She had to just whisper into the ear of a nurse, and she would, the nurse would speak to Brother Branham and say, she actually wants you to pray that she could die. But she'd made the confession, if Brother Branham comes and prays for me, I'll be all right. God honored that. That was her meditation. She got a hold of a book of his and she began to read that and she began to meditate on that and regardless of what the doctor said, 
Her meditation wasn't on the doctor's report. Her meditation was on the books that she got a hold of that said, I know that I, my Redeemer lives, and I know that I can be healed. I know even in these last days he's still alive. In that poor, sad estate, as Brother Branham began to pray, and we know that little dove began to come down the window and coo. And afterwards, he, he began to speak, open his mouth to say something, and he spoke and said, she's going to live, not die. Thus saith the Lord. But in this, I want to take a, a, a little bit more and take it out of the drama for a minute and say, Brother Branham would speak in the God of this evil age, and I quoted last time, but it says, see the two opposing spirits at work in this evil age. Can you see it? Every, each very religious, Cain and Abel, spirits again coming to their heads till same as they started, one worshiping by beauty and by knowledge and by education and by science and by ethics and the other one by faith of the revelation of the word of God. Both of them standing right in this building this morning. And I'll say tonight, it's standing right in this building tonight. Both of them, because they're both there the same way that, that Jesus would go in. Why did he only take Peter, James, and John? In a meeting like that, there was no room for Judas. There was no room for the Antichrist spirit where the life was about to take place. The thoughts that we think, the thoughts that we accept, they begin to affect not just us, but they begin to affect the, the person next to you, the person down the row, the person behind you, the person in the other end. Why? Because we're creating an atmosphere and we're accepting the devil right into the service by our own thoughts. And thank you, well, I don't like that. And what's tomorrow? And what have I got going on? And what's on my job wrap? And what's going on with this? And what's happening there? But we got all kinds of thoughts going on when God's saying, what about here? What about now? Take no thought for tomorrow. Don't have a thought of your own tonight. The only thing you ought to be thinking is, what's the word of God? What's God going to speak to me? Because there's two opposing spirits that are working in the church right now as Christ is trying to speak to you. I guarantee you the same way he was this morning to me, sitting right back there by Sister Melissa. He was trying to tell me things to get me off of what Christ was doing to get me over to the Antichrist. Let me say it this way, revelation and faith. Revelation or faith in his word makes no claim of knowledge. This is just a continuation of that quote in the God of this evil age. It makes no claim of knowledge. The real true Christian. They say, hey, have you got a doctor's degree? I've heard that so many times in the last couple of years. So-and-so's a nurse, so-and-so's a doctor, so-and-so's worked on this, so and therefore they know best. Really? This still knows best. This still knows best. Over every symptom, over every scientific discovery, because revelation makes no claim on knowledge. I don't need to have a doctor's degree to tell me what's wrong with COVID and what, what's wrong with masks and what's wrong with mandates and what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that. All I got is this right here that says, by his stripes. Amen. I'll preach that to the day I die. Even if I die of COVID, I'll still preach that. Because the word of God said it. And it's true. 
says it makes no claim. I believe his words. He makes, doesn't make any claims. Doesn't claim to be educated. Doesn't belong to any denomination, any party, any sect. It belongs to Christ. It's his wife. The bride, by revelation, is the wife of Christ. She's the wife of the bridegroom. She's not a spouse to all these other knowledge, all these other things, all these other denominations, all these other thinkings. She has no thought of her own. Let me jump ahead so I don't miss it. The man says, oh, don't reason. Don't reason with it. You ain't got no right. When God says anything, you just say what he said. That's the thing to do. You say, well, I think, but you ain't got no thought coming. Say, well, but I think that was Judas's problem. But I think, but I think, but I think. And Jesus says, but you ain't got no thought. Hallelujah. Even Peter, when it would come right down to the end, Peter, do you love me? Peter didn't sit there and say, well, I think I do. He said, Lord, you know. You know all things. You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. You know, and Lord, I don't have a thought of my own. You gave me all my thoughts. I don't got a thought of my own. Let Let the mind that was in Christ be in you, and Christ is the word. Let the word be in you. All other words be wrong. Christ's words be right. See, this is what Jairus began to catch. When even Jairus, he began to get exuberant and excited because the Seraphonician woman, she was healed. But now here comes the one saying, she's dead. But Jesus said, fear not. Only believe. All things are possible to them that believe. Only believe. Don't worry about what it looks like. Don't worry about what it looks like for your family, for your lost loved ones, how bad it looks. Say, well, Brother Andrew, they're wearing pants now. She's got makeup. Oh, he's out there with some worldly girlfriend, and he's got a kid. He's not even married. Who cares? Let God move. God still moves. It's not our job to figure out how he's going to do it. Judas wanted to figure out how he was going to pay tribute when they didn't have any money. The purse is empty. Jesus said, go cast a line in the water. That that hook you've been hiding in your pocket all this time, Peter. Go throw in the water the first fish you catch. Peter knew. Jesus knew he wasn't a great fisherman. He didn't go down the 12th one. He'd be there all day. The first one you catch, Peter, is good enough. Look in that one's mouth. There'll be a coin in that one's mouth. How the coin got there, Peter didn't care. The coin was there. Oh my. So let that Christ be in you. Others believe him in all his reasons, like she did reason. Say, well, why don't why why would God do this? Now isn't this just as good as that? Oh. I'm just as good as them. This is just as good as that. If it's contrary to the word, it's not. What's this next statement? So anything, any teacher, any Bible exposition, uh, expositor, if I can say it right, anything else that would teach you 
or try to get you to believe anything one little iota different from what the Bible says, it's false teaching. It's Satan again, just exactly like it was with Eve. God goes right on. No matter what he does and Satan, what Satan does, God goes right on proving it to be so. No matter what Satan does, those of you that came up for prayer this morning, no matter what Satan does, God will go right on proving it's so. No matter what thought comes your way, no matter how much that black dog that's in there starts fighting and biting and barking, because that's often when a, when a dog's the most ferocious when it knows it's lost. It's given it everything. It's given it its last little bit. It's given it everything it's got, but it's already over. It's over. God's here to prove his word. Let's stand to our feet, please. The madam says, but one day, a predestinated seed was born, a child that was a proper child. Talking to Moses. There was something about him that seemed strange out on the backside of the desert one day. The Holy Ghost come down in a pillar of fire, settled in a bush, said, I heard the groans of my people, and I remember my promise. And the time of deliverance is at hand, and I'm sending you down there to do it. With a stick in his hand, his wife on a mule, a baby in her lap, he did it by the power of Almighty God. The most ridiculous thing. What would a crooked stick do to 10,000 spears? But you see, God is in it. It depends on where his word is. Moses had his word. Pharaoh had spears. Moses had the word. That's all that he needed was the word. That's all you need today is, is not some credential from some church. You don't need a denominational to back you up. You don't need your thinking of the message to back you up. You need the word and to take a rapture with it. What are we going to take a rapture with? The word. It's what's going to bring you to that perfect faith. It lies right in those types. It lies right in that word. Why? Because it's the revealed word for your day, and that's to bring about the rapture. You don't need some credential. You don't need some long history of some school to be healed this morning. You just need to accept the word. That does it. He even goes farther. You don't need the doctor's word. If the doctor said he's done all he can do, that's all he can do. Hallelujah. It's that simple. As I heard it said recently by a brother, actually by the Paul F. Fontaine, he says, when a doctor comes and says you've got zero percent chance, what right does that doctor have to tell you? He ain't got no right to tell you you've got zero percent chance because the word of God says you got all the chance that God says you're going to have. By his stripes you're healed. I'm the healer of all your sicknesses and diseases. As long as you got faith and you believe, that's your chance. He says you got cancer, you got tumor, you're blind, you're deaf, you're dumb, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. 
if you could take the word of God, that burning promise of the bush yonder, amen, something's going to happen. God will prove his word to be so every time that it's received on the right kind of ground. Oh, amen. It's got to be received with that believing heart, not the intellectual Judas. So I think I got it figured out, I think. But rather the Jairus that says, yes, Lord. I'm just walking with you. My faith was if I could get to you, so I'm with you. Hallelujah. Like the sheep that's just walking in the cartoon with Jesus, and there's a lion that comes up and roars. And he just says, I'm with him. I'm with him. I might have the cartoon a little wrong, but something close to that. Hallelujah. I'm not by myself. I'm with Jesus. He's on my side. And I'm going on with Jesus just the same. Hallelujah. Oh, don't you love him? His word is infallible. You know, when we think we got it figured out, it's when God says, okay, watch this. <laughs> we think we know how it's all going to happen. Gideon thought so. We're going to take the Midianites. All right, we'll put on a general call. Everyone came. 30,000 men. They all came. We're ready. We're ready, Gideon. God says, too many. He's like, what? They got, they got more than this. All right, Lord, what do I do? Tell them if they're scared, go home. But they came. Why would they be scared? If you're scared, why'd you come? Because people do that. Everyone else is doing it, so I'll do it too. We're going to see Gideon? All right, we're going to see Gideon. We need a sword. All right, I need my sword. I need my shield. I need my shield. What are we here to do? The Midianites? Oh, boy. What did I sign up for? We get that way, too. We're all going to church. You're going to church. I'm going to church. We're going to church. You need a Bible? 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 All right, we're going to church. We're going to church. What? We're going to the rapture? When? What? Separate from sin? I can't talk that way. I can't live that way anymore. I don't know about this anymore. Kind of scared. Gets right on down to about 3,000 men. And he says, all right, still too many. All right, Lord, what's next? Gideon wasn't with the man. Gideon was with God. The men were with Gideon. So he gets down there to the river. He says, take them down to the water of the word. Have them drink. So they get down. He says, all the ones you see in there that aren't looking and watching and praying while they're partaking of the word. But they got all their own ideas. They're just rubbing their face in it. Send them home. I want someone that's going to look up to God and say, Lord, what do you have? It's going to watch and pray. Say, Lord, you show me your word. You reveal it to me, Lord. He says, well, I only got 300 now. I says, all right, now I can do it. Now there's room for me in this army. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sometimes we've got to get rid of some of our thoughts, some of our thinking, some of our reasoning, so there's room for God to fight. He's a real good fighter, but you got to give him some room. So, Lord, I want to see your glory. I want to see you work. I want to see what you're going to do. You come on the scene in my life. You come on the scene for so-and-so. You come on the scene for Sister Laura Collins. You come on the I'm going to give him some room to work. And quit trying to crowd it out. Say, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me. Say, Lord, you're the one. This is your problem, God. 
I lift my hands to you, Lord. Whatever you see fit to do, that's what's fit to do, Lord. Happened the same way with Jesus. When Jesus was there and he he preached on the mountain, he'd fed the 5,000. There was thousands following him. He just couldn't get away. They were all following him around until finally he'd come down. He said, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no part in me. And they went, I I thought loaves and fishes was good. So the brown was there. This man's a human vampire. They went their way. There's a 70 plus 12, 82 left. One of them still being a devil. And they get down there, Jesus says, still too many. I can't have this many. He says, what if you see the Son of Man ascend up into heaven from whence he came? And 70 went, okay, that's too much. Now he thinks he's God. See, they thought he was just a prophet. Just like Elijah, Isaiah. Remember what Peter said? Who do you say that I, the Son of Man? Well, some say you're Isaiah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're, I'm sure there were some of those in the 70 that said, well, I think he's, in, uh, he's Elijah. He must be Elisha because he healed leprosy. And they all had their ideas, but then it come down to the 12. He said, okay, you going to go too? He even gave them an opportunity to say, hey, listen, God only needs one man. Are you going to go too? But all the Father's given me, I won't lose one. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, don't you love the Lord? Amen. Amen. He didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim just to let us drown. Amen. He didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim to let us. There it is. Oh, he didn't build us home in us. Touch on the wrong key. Let us down. Us this far to leave us. Oh, he didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. He didn't build his home in us to move away. He didn't lift us up just to let us down. Amen. Well, maybe we better stop that there. I can't get the key right. (laughs) Amen. But he didn't bring us this far. There's some promises in the letter written a long, long time ago. They're not getting any older. And in our time, they seem to be getting older, but they're eternal. They're just getting better. He still wants us to know he didn't bring us this far just to leave us. Oh, my. Oh, my. Amen. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into, and they are saved. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
to be the name.